Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6? We're in the book of Ephesians. We're beginning chapter 6 this morning. I've loved spending this entire school year in this very important letter. I don't want it to end. I find myself lingering here to soak every bit, every morsel that the Apostle Paul has for us. And this is perfect the day that we celebrate Young Lives Ministries to be in this whole family corridor talking about first wives, then husbands, and now today children. And so I'm going to begin reading in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1, but I'm not going to make it very far at all today. So watch with me in your Bibles. Hear God's word. Children. That's it. Let's pray together. How marvelous, Lord Jesus, how beautiful. We've got a bunch of adults here with really important jobs and really important things to do who are going to be the tithing members of this church and do the heavy lifting of ministry. And you pause in this letter because you don't want to talk to the adults, you want to talk to the kids. You want to address the children in our church. You assume that they're going to be here this morning so that you can speak to them. And you will this week and next week because you are eager to talk to the least of these, the youngest of these, the children that you have blessed our city and our church with. That's amazing. We praise you that you're that kind of father. And so we give this day to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We guys remember that we're in this letter, Paul is writing to a church that he actually planted. So he went to what is now modern day Turkey, and it's an incredible story, this church plant in Ephesus, but he was able to, by God's grace, see people come to faith in Christ, see them gathered into a church, and then Paul, since he had this apostolic role, he leaves and goes on to Corinth and plants other churches, but he stays in contact with this church plant, and so he writes this letter to this group of people that he loves. And it's good for us to remember that this church in Ephesus is a very small body of believers. I think when we think about church, we kind of think about the bells and whistles that we have today. Here in the 21st century, we think about a building, we think about a crowd of people, we think about musicians. But this was the earliest days of the church... And so Paul is writing to a church that doesn't have its own building. Nobody did. No church did back in Paul's day. They're just meeting in somebody's house. They're meeting in their living room. There aren't a lot of people there. We can guess that there might be 20 or 30, or if it's a huge church, there might be 40 people that are gathered in this living room for worship. You're going to have parents there, you're going to have kids there, you're going to have moms and dads, you're going to have employers and employees, all of them are gathering around, probably sitting on the floor, listening to somebody read Paul's letter aloud. And the very fact that Paul takes time in a jam-packed letter of the church to address the children that are sitting there in that living room together gives dignity to every child's life and every child's eternal life. Just the fact that Paul says, I want to talk to the kids right now. 
Now you may know that the Roman Empire in Paul's day, like the American Empire in our day, was not always a safe place to be a child. Maybe you know that history. Children are weak. Children are vulnerable. Children, they, they can't right now speak up for themselves. And so a child's rights only come in proportion to the adults who are willing to define them and then do the hard work of defending them. And in much of history, outside the church, there were too few voices willing to speak up for children. In the ancient world, like way before Ephesus days, way before Paul's life, a thousand years before that, if you can imagine, there were actually religions in the ancient Near East where the idols of those religions demanded children to be sacrificed to appease the gods that they worshipped. You fast forward from there, you get to the Greek world before Paul's day, Aristotle and Plato, who taught and encouraged abortion both as population control and to get rid of the ill or the weak children that were born to the Greek nation. By the time you get to Paul's world in the Roman Empire, they practiced both abortion, they had crude poisons and tools for abortion, but also infanticide. You were allowed to, in the Roman Empire, have a newborn baby and look at it and determine, is this a boy or a girl? Is this healthy or sick? Does my family want another child? And if you didn't, you could leave a newborn baby outside, outside the city, outside of a village, and the child would die, and that was within your rights to do so. That's the backdrop of our Bibles. You you get these haunting stories in our Bibles with respect to children. All the way back in Exodus, you have this decree from Pharaoh. He sees the Hebrew people growing and being blessed by God, and he makes an edict that I want you to abort and kill or commit infanticide and get rid of Every Hebrew baby boy that is born to these slaves. After that time, we get introduced to the idol of Molech, who demands that worshipers would offer their children to him through fire in sacrifice. You get this all the way up into the New Testament where Herod, he hears about Jesus being born by the wise men, and he makes a decree that all babies born in Bethlehem of a certain age would be killed to root out the Messiah. That actually makes Jesus an infanticide survivor. Jesus, when he later hears his story from his parents and how they had to run to Egypt and, and stay in hiding, and then only then was it safe to come back. He, he actually knows what it's like to be on the razor's edge of being an infant statistic in the jaws of Rome. He came that close to losing his life. This was not a safe place to be a child. Not a safe world to be a child. 
over and against all that, the Bible is cover to cover, page by page, pro-life and pro-children. God gives the gift of children. God defines the right in the Bible of children. God gives special attention to children. God says that he hears the prayers of children. God swears that he will bring justice for children. The Bible is dogmatically pro-child because every child is made in the image of God. Every child is loved by God and every child is valuable to God. That's a foreign stance to the Roman Empire. I know that there are men and women here who have either had an abortion or encouraged a friend or a family member to have an abortion. You've shared that. And that's something that touches every one of our families in this room. Doesn't matter if you're young or old, doesn't matter if you're black or white, doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, doesn't matter if you grew up in a two-parent home or a one-parent home on one side of the tracks or the other side of the tracks, you will find abortion as far as the curse is found. I grieve with you. I know that you carry the haunting weight of that experience in your life. Will you bring that to God? Will you believe God when he says that his mercy is rich and full and his steadfast love never ceases? And will you bring that, even that part of your story to God? And as we repent of that and throw ourselves on God and his mercy, we can actually know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God forgives us, cleanses us, washes us clean of all of our sin, past, present, and future because of the grace of his son, Jesus. I don't know if there will be a day this side of heaven where we will not remember and feel the ache of that story. Just like I don't know if there's a day this side of heaven that any of us in our sin will not feel the ache of that story. But I do know in Christ, in the gospel, he receives us, he forgives us, he welcomes us, And he will present us, all of us in Christ, without spot or wrinkle. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. He is that kind. He is that good. And his gospel is that rich. If you're a guest here today with the Young Lives Ministry, all of our moms here today who are gathered, we're on the eve of Mother's Day. We're going to celebrate that next week. You have done a very brave and a very courageous thing. You've had your babies. They're beautiful. I love seeing our moms bring in their babies and their kids. We can talk pro-life. We can vote pro-life. We can rally pro-life. There's always going to be a place for that. But our pro-life stance is only as strong as the practical care that we give to the least of these the children of this city. 
A child is always, always, always a gift from God. No matter the story, no matter the circumstances, no matter the roundabout way that each of us has showed up here this morning, all of us have a story. No matter what that is, a child is always, always a gift from God. And so Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, believes this to his core. He's writing this lofty Ephesian letter. I mean, he talks about predestination. He talks about racial reconciliation. He talks about sanctification. All this heady, brilliant stuff that it's going to take our kids a long, long time before they can grow up and understand what he's addressing here in this letter. But then, as he talks about families, he pauses and says... I want to talk to the kids right now. I'm so glad that they're here. I love them. And I want to talk to them. I've got a word from the Lord just for them. When Paul does that, he sounds like Jesus. Paul sounds like his Savior. Remember that scene that J. Will read from Mark chapter 10? This is a a very familiar scene to us. And that is that, that Jesus is slammed with ministry. The crowds are pressing in on him. There are important people around him. He's got a lot of good work to do. And so the disciples, they see their ministry as running defense. They're kind of like protecting Jesus and guarding his time and making sure that only the important people get through to talk to him. And... You've got these parents who don't really have an urgent need. They just want to bring their kids to Jesus so that Jesus can touch their kids, which is not like a chief priority, it would seem, to the disciples right now. And so naturally, the disciples intervene as they see the parents pressing in, and they tell the parents to get lost. (laughs) I mean, Jesus is here building God's kingdom on earth. He's got a appointments with religious and political leaders. He's doing pressing things. He's like raising people from the dead and he's healing people of leprosy and he doesn't have time to touch your daggum baby. Take it and go. There's a guy with leprosy behind you. Give Jesus some space. And Mark 10, 14 says that when Jesus caught wind of that, He saw the the next parent kind of turned away with their child. He was indignant. Now that's a Greek word that means pissed. (laughs) Jesus was righteously pissed. What are you doing? He says to them. Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And then while all the crowds are waiting, they're just standing there. You've got religious leaders with questions about spiritual things and you've got parents who want the family members healed and you've got people with leprosy and people who need to be risen from the dead and people who need to be fed. They just stand there awkwardly waiting and Jesus welcomes these children He picks them up, he lays his hands on them, and he blesses them. He says, this is the substance of my kingdom. I don't know if you've ever studied the Gospels with an eye to time management, 
Like you kind of look at Jesus and you think, how does he do so much? Like how does he fit all this ministry, all these people into such a short window of time and he doesn't even have an iPhone? Like how does he get all this ministry done and he can't email anyone and he has to walk to wherever he goes? Here's one of the secrets of Jesus' time management. He doesn't mind making adults wait. He doesn't mind sending people away disappointed. He says, this right here is the substance of my kingdom. I love children, body and soul, life and eternal life. And I want to make sure that they hear first that this kingdom is for them. That's Jesus. That's our Messiah. When Paul addresses children in this letter, he's following in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus gives special attention to children, so we give special attention to children. Jesus loves children, body and soul, so we love children, body and soul. This is so practical for our church body, Columbia Presbyterian Church. We We've been blessed as a church, we say again and again, with kids. Like, lots and lots of kids. Like, some days it's overwhelming to see how many kids are pressed into the nursery right now, and we don't even know if they're going to be okay when we check on them in five minutes. Like, we got a ton of kids. We got 50 kids that are ages zero to five. That's a whole church right there. That is the church 30 years from now, is the kids that are, you know, pulling each other's ears right now in the back room. We know of, or at least I know of, eight women who are pregnant in this church right now. Six of whom are going to be first-time moms, all of whom are prayed for by name by the women who meet monthly to pray for the women in this church. Young Lives moms who are visiting here this morning, if you are looking for a church home and you have not found one yet, I pray that God brings you to a church home, whether that's here at Columbia Presbyterian Church or that's with J. Will as he plants in the next couple of years. Where is a place here or there where you are becoming part of this family, where we're your family and your kids become the shared joy of a church body together where we learn how to love our kids together? One of the simplest ways in which we love the kids here, body and soul, according to our verse, is just so simple, we're going to pass this over, but it's to bring them here on Sundays. That's in our passage. Think about it. This letter is being read aloud to the church in Ephesus in Sunday worship. And the very fact that Paul addresses children in chapter 6 verse 1 presumes that children are actually present in the church body. Like over and against ancient and Greek and Roman culture's view of children and over and against like our parents' preferences of how we pictured our weekend going and over and against a ministry's preference of who its important tithing members are, Paul wants to on Sunday morning from the word address kids. They don't tithe. They don't yet volunteer. They're distracting. 
They drop clipboards like all the time. I don't understand that. They expose our parenting woes in public. Everybody can watch you and see how bad of a parent you are when we see your kids running in circles around the church space. We had an incident of graffiti in the nursery area. And as we investigated to find the culprit, it was my kids. It was them. They signed their names. And they still denied it when I confronted them. They will expose us and our idols and insecurities to our core. And we despair that if we bring them here to such a foreign place like a church with Bible reading and creeds and music and all this kind of stuff, are they going to get anything at all out of this? Paul knows all that. And he says in Ephesians chapter 6, I'm assuming you brought your kids. I can't imagine you would come to worship or you yourself wouldn't be present if you're responsible for kids, uncles and aunts and and grandparents and parents and and brothers and sisters. I can't imagine you wouldn't bring them here because this is what the Spirit is doing right now. This is where he's working and you want your kids to be a part of that. I want your kids to be a part of that even if you don't realize the power of that. And so from the earliest, most vulnerable days of a child's birth, we welcome children into our church family. We baptize infants born to believing parents. We entrust these small children to our nursery workers, and we pray beforehand that we would be something of the hands and the feet of Jesus. This is going to be their earliest exposure. And from the moment, even before we know if they can hear and understand, our teachers begin speaking this gospel word to our children. And as soon as they hit kindergarten and first grade, we bring them into the worship service because we want them to see adults other than their parents singing their hearts out to this same Jesus. And by the time they get to second grade, They're here for the entire service because there's no bait and switch. We're not going to do something different in middle school or high school or college. You're here because we want you as a part of our church family experiencing this same Jesus with us. In other words, our children are part of our church. I'm going to talk either next week or the following week about research done by a woman who wrote the book Sticky Faith. She was basically asking the question, why do half the kids who are raised in the church go off to college and leave their faith? Which is a question that every parent wants to know. How do I, how do I raise my child so that their faith will stick and they'll be enamored by Jesus above all other things, including their evolution professor at USC? What do I do? It's not the preaching, it's not the youth group, it's not the worship team, it's not the church building, it's not the church budget. The main contributing factor to a child maintaining their faith and endurance following the road of Calvary is intergenerational relationships. If my kid knows other teens and adults, 
if they know my kids, if we mix things up together as a church body and we actually build real relationships so that I can greet kids by name and they see my faith who is not their parents, research confirms what the Bible says and that is I want to seal these children with their faith for the long haul. We welcome our children because Paul in his letter addresses children, because Jesus in his ministry blesses children, because body and soul, life and eternal life, to such belongs the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, you're not going to give us a surprise pop quiz on the last day. You tell us on judgment day what you're going to ask according to Matthew chapter 25. And it is, church, how did you love the least of these? Make us a church that celebrates our children. Make us a church that loves our children. Make us a church that is the hands and the feet of Jesus to our children. Bring the little ones to us so that we can lay hands on them and bless them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. They are our joy and our glory and our crown on that last day. We praise you in Jesus' name.